the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to SoCal Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host and former cycling coach to President Biden. Not really, not really. You know what? I have fallen down exactly the same way as the president fell down on his bike. I don't know. Uh, bicycle pedals, they, uh, they can be the death of you, I think. Anyway, happy Juneteenth to you. You know, I have seen a lot of different views about how we should do, view this new federal holiday. Did you know the Juneteenth? Juneteenth. Do you even know what it is? If you're from California, you might not. California has celebrated it unofficially for since 2003. Some states, though, Texas, where it began for about 40 years, it's now a federal holiday as of last year. So I don't remember if this is the first year it's official. I think this is the first year it's an official holiday. And, uh, you know, there's there's people who have some different opinions. If you don't know what it is, I'll explain it in a minute. And actually, one of the best spokespeople for it And I think for a way that we can view this from an optimistic standpoint is a 95-year-old woman named Opal Lee, who is known as the grandmother of Juneteenth. She's somebody I think you should get to know. If you feel like you want to talk about this subject, she is the reason that it is a national holiday. 95 years old. She's been fighting for it for decades. And uh, she got it. She got what she has been fighting for. And she's got a great story and great attitude. And uh, I thought I'd talk about that a little bit because I think that her approach to things, not just Juneteenth, but I think that the approach that she has to issues here of of race primarily, where we have so much tension and difficulty right now, I think the same views put to just about any place where we have difficulty in our country and division are really positive. They don't ignore the reality of what has happened in history, of what is real but also doesn't ignore the possibilities of a better future, which sometimes is is the difficulty, right, that we, are, I think, are having today is that we divide over various things and the other side or somebody's opinion, you know, there are certain things that are right and wrong, okay, and we talk about those things on our program. And then there are other things, you know, politically, you know, inflation policy, uh, gas prices, you know, I don't know that, you know, if Jesus were to come here, he would tell us exactly what's right and wrong. But I don't know that there is necessarily a moral view of some political things that's right and wrong. But certainly racism is wrong morally. Certainly uh, lots of different things can be right and wrong. But moving forward together as a as a country, I think that's something that we we are struggling with and have been for many years now. We need some optimism. We need some hope. We have that with a lot of people in our country if we would give a listen. So I thought I'd talk about that. I'd love to know your thoughts. You can call me anytime to join the conversation, 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557. That's 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557. You can also email me at SoCalLive at KKLA.com, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. All right, so uh, Juneteenth, you might have noticed your bank is closed today. Lots of other uh, federal offices are closed today, and um, that's because we have a new federal holiday. Not everybody is off today. It's not even a state holiday officially in uh, several states, Um, but it has been a state holiday in many states actually for a long time. 
And with anything, like I said, with these days when we're talking about race, it can be a hard subject. But this story, the story of Juneteenth, has a long history. It's not critical theory. And I hesitate to say critical race theory because there's critical all kinds of theory. When we, we're not talking about that in this episode. But critical theory, I mean, there's, there's critical theory about gender and critical theory about race. And there's critical theory about um, sports. There's critical, there's critical fat guy theory out there. I'm not even making that up. And the big problem with all of it, it isn't that it doesn't raise questions that we should address. It's that it doesn't give any redemption. It doesn't give any hope. Just this is bad. This is all, you know, it just sort of makes things up and leaves things in a pile of rubble and doesn't offer any way forward. And that's why it becomes destructive of just about anything that uh, you're talking about. The thing is about Juneteenth is it's not related to that. It's history. It's been celebrated for a long time and it's a positive thing for everybody when you view it the way that Opal Lee, the grandmother of Juneteenth, views it. 95 years old. I found her very inspiring. I've seen her on a few TV shows, and I've read a lot about her. She was on a program on CNN with Don Lemon, and she was asked, how do you feel about Juneteenth really becoming a holiday? Now, she's 95 for many, many years. She has been petitioning. It's been a Texas holiday since 1979. It was elected, uh, voted to be a Texas holiday in 1979. So if you're from Texas, you might have a history. And I'd love to hear about that. If you grew up celebrating Juneteenth, what was that like? What was the normal thing that you did? Um, 888-528-2557. She felt like it should be a national holiday. That was her passion. She's a Christian lady, loves Jesus. She, is, she felt like this is a story about freedom that needs to be told. And so she goes on CNN with Don Lemon, and she, asked, she was asked about how she feels about Juneteenth actually becoming a holiday. Now, she's 95. She speaks very slowly, but uh, here she is responding to that question. Go ahead and clip one. I'm still, I'm still pinching myself to make sure it really happened. Right. I, I want you to know that it's mind-boggling mm. to think that we actually have a holiday. You know, when you're 95, how many of you are 95? Not too many of you. Most of us don't make it that far. And most of us are not walking two and a half miles all the time uh, in order to get something done like that. So, I mean, good for her. What an, uh, just, just that alone is pretty inspiring about her. And uh, the fact that, you know, her goal was to see this become a holiday before her death. You know, when you're 95, you know, you don't know if you got tomorrow. You know, we, we never are guaranteed tomorrow. But think about that, that determination. I think that's fantastic. And um, she wanted people to know you know, that this is something she felt like was important and in all of the the difficult issues. And she's seen all kinds of different issues in her life, different things related to race, going back to Jim Crow and everything that's even been happening the last couple of years. And she has seen all of this. She's lived it. She's experienced different things. And she has fought all the way to this moment to have a holiday. And, you know, she cuts through a lot of the the controversy, a lot of the back and forth, a lot of the left and right, a lot of the sort of uh, woke and whatever the opposite of a woke is. Is it asleep? Did we say that? I don't know. Uh, The non-woke, the woke, all of that. She just cuts through all of that and focuses on the optimistic side of things. You know, some people are are arguing that we shouldn't have Juneteenth because it's too close to Fourth of July and that celebrates freedom. 
other people are saying we should have Juneteenth instead of Fourth of July because it it is uh, you know we're we're sort of downplaying our country and the founding and all this and we should replace it. You have these two extremes. She cuts right to the middle of it. So when asked this question, should we have this holiday along with July Fourth? You know, she said something really clear. She says we need to be aware that Juneteenth means freedom. And then she tells the story. So the story, if you don't know, the Emancipation Proclamation was given by President Lincoln in 1863. Of course, in southern states, that didn't free the slaves right away. And uh, it took a while. And of course, it took the end of the war for some of that to happen. And the government, the federal government, after the war had to enforce the Emancipation Proclamation. All right. So some slaveholders were not giving up their slaves. Some were Uh, Some didn't know about it, right? Everybody didn't have a Facebook account. Um, There's some doubt about how much people knew and didn't know. I read an article, not an article, an interview of a man who was a slave from 1937. He was an old man, and he was talking about Juneteenth, and he said, he said, well, it's not like we didn't have newspapers back then like we have now. Lots of people knew if you could read or if you paid attention, you probably heard that the slaves were freed, but it wasn't until Juneteenth in 1865, June 19th, 1865, that a proclamation was actually brought to town. And so what happens is General Granger nailed the order, which is called Order Number 3, to a church. And uh, he went to many different towns to proclaim that the slaves had been freed. This is General Order Number 3. Uh, the president, the, the people are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. Now, at this point, uh, Lincoln had been assassinated. Uh, and uh, so it's everybody knows which president they meant, but they wanted to make sure that there was no, uh, no confusing the fact that just because President Lincoln wasn't still with us, that uh, it didn't mean that the slaves weren't still free. They are free. So the proclamation it didn't come; it came from Abraham Lincoln. But what they wanted to make clear was that it came from the executive of the United States, the president. All slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves, and the connection heretofore existing between them become that between employer and hired labor. The freed are advised to remain at their present homes and work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts, and they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere. And that's it. And when the people heard this, that the slaves were free, there was tremendous celebration. It was a moment. You have to imagine. I can't even imagine how incredible that would be, even though there would be such a hard road ahead, even though a lot of it was, what do I do now? I'm free. Even though there, the slaves, former slaves, would then experience racism at a whole lot of different levels after that. There was hope. There was a way forward. And it was a great day of celebration. And uh, go ahead and play clip two. This is Opal Lee again. And oh, was that a day to be remembered. So you see, the general read this paper he had. It was called General Number Three. And said, all slaves are free. Then he nailed that to what's now Reedy Chapel, African Methodist Episcopal Church. And when the people came in from work and somebody read that to them, we started celebrating and we've been celebrating ever since. You know, that's uh, that's 95-year-old Opal Lee. 
And you're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. You can join our conversation by calling 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Imagine the celebration. And the celebrations and uh, of uh, this happening is something that immediately started to happen. I think 1870 is the first recorded actual June, Juneteenth celebration and uh, mainly happening in Texas but grew to other states uh, rapidly after that. Today, 2022, people are asking, well, how do you celebrate this? And there's tension, right? There is different attitudes about the country and different attitudes about where we're going. And a lot of cynicism surrounds uh, these kinds of things. And so Don Lemon, CNN uh, anchor, you know who he is. Uh, If you watch CNN, you know who he is. You wouldn't know who he is if you don't watch that, that station. I watch all the stations, by the way. I flip around just to see what they're talking about. Uh, he said we should have uh, barbecues like the 4th of July and um, in a way mimic the 4th of July. She then talks about the walks, the two-and-a-half-mile walks that symbolize the two-and-a-half years that it took for slaves to hear that they were freed after the Emancipation Proclamation. That's the why there's the two-and-a-half-mile walk. You might have participated in one of those in Los Angeles this morning or maybe where you live. And uh, there's a lot of different um, events going on, something at the Hollywood Bowl, lots of different ways of celebration. One of the things that she thinks is so important is that this not become a day of lament as much as it should be a day of celebration. And when asked how do you celebrate, she talked about the walks, and then she said this, go to clip three. Let's have a breakfast of prayer, and we do. Now, that's not to be confused with a prayer breakfast. And the programs, as the young people would say, they're off the chain. Mm -hmm. They're beautiful. There's so much that people need to learn. And I advocate that we celebrate from the 19th of June to the 4th of July. Now, that (laughs) would be... That would be celebrating freedom. What do you think of that? I think that's a pretty good idea to celebrate freedom for a couple of weeks. And I think we should get a couple of weeks off to celebrate freedom. Now, most people, I think, wouldn't think about that. When you're 95, you know, you a couple of weeks to celebrate anything is fantastic, I think. And um, that's what, you know, what she wants to do. But what she's really doing is she is disarming sort of the verses that would be June 19th versus July 4th, she's taking that verses out. And she's saying, hey, these are, these are two different things, but they're both celebrating freedom. One is the, the freedom of our, our country when we declared our independence and became a country. The other one is the freedom that was not given to black people in our country until that date, until uh, it finished up uh, the notification of slaves being freed in 1865. And that we should take a moment and not ignore the problems that still exist and that existed right after that, but celebrate the times of freedom, that we should do that. And I want, I'm encouraged by this, just you know, her attitude about things. I read an article in the Houston Chronicle. It's actually a year old from last year when the, whenever the holiday became official. It's by a guy named Raj uh, Mankid. He's an African-American reporter, and it's a very honest article where he interviews her and he struggles a bit because she's so disarming and so powerful and so inspirational about things. 
He said, ask Opal Lee to teach you about Juneteenth. Chances are the 95-year-old, 94-year-old, it says there was a year ago, leader of the movement to make the pivotal event a national holiday will not start with slavery or the Civil War or systemic racism or any of the pain, division, or injustice that often accompany mention uh, of that fateful date when Union troops announced the end of slavery in Texas. So he's, he is wound up, and he, re, he talks about this throughout the article, how wound up he is trying to figure out how to celebrate this because there's so much pessimism and so much um, frustration and anger that he feels himself uh, today. He says, chances are she's going to start talking about it with dessert. You want some peach cobbler? That's how she began. And she feeds him. Which, by the way, if you have to have a difficult conversation with somebody, feed him. Bring some chips and dip. Do it at a restaurant. Do it in some place where you're on a full stomach, where you have time, where you are breaking bread. This is a way that we we bridge gaps. We may not always agree on things, but when human beings are able to eat together and have that kind of fellowship, it's better. She knows this. She's a wise woman. He writes, Lee's charisma and influence, how she wins over skeptics on both sides of the aisle, has long intrigued me. She was able to win people on all sides, whatever the sides are on whether this should be a holiday and all the different things. She brought everybody together. The Senate voted unanimously to make this a holiday. When was the last time you heard that? When I didn't, he writes this, what I didn't expect was the route along historic sites and conversations with Lee and others I met that would force me to encounter my own pessimism about this divided nation and my own fears. First came Lee's disarming vision of Juneteenth that has more to do with celebration than protests, more about a radical expansion of joy than intense focus on what divides us. She diffuses the argument that Juneteenth is a holiday somehow in competition with Independence Day by embracing both. And freedom to Lee is expansive, not just the overcoming of enslavement and Jim Crow opposition, but the ability to thrive through access to education, health care, and economic opportunity. And he wrote this. He says, as I listened, I oscillated between awe and skepticism. Lee had won over people across America, red and blue, south and north. And he's questioning that. I think she does it through her optimism, which I think comes from her Christian faith, which, by the way, for believers, we have every reason to be optimistic even through dark times. That doesn't mean that we celebrate things that are not fair or unjust or evil or immoral. But we take a look at the world today, and optimist, being optimistic doesn't mean that you're not realistic. It just means that you're not going to give up. And it means that, hey, you know what? There is a way forward. And for Christians, we've got a Savior. We've got a Savior who points to the way forward. And the way forward is to love each other, to be able to move forward that we can overcome, that there is redemption. As I read this article, one of the things that he writes about Opal Lee is this, but what struck me the most was her stubborn optimism about the daunting pursuit of changing hearts and minds. Changing hearts and minds always wins, by the way. We're going to be talking about abortion pretty soon. The Supremes tomorrow or Thursday or, or at the latest next week are going to announce their, their abortion decision for real. And however that comes down, there's going to be conversation and there's going to be protests on both sides. And, and I'm real concerned about violence and people getting hurt. But the reason that we can move forward with hope and not pessimism is because there is a daunting pursuit about changing hearts and minds to what is right. Opal Lee said this, he quotes her this way. She she says, I just know that there are people who hold back, Lee said. They want to help, but they don't want to be accused. You know this Juneteenth thing, when it becomes a national holiday, it will be the catalyst that's going to make us all realize that we are the same. We are made by one God. 
I believe that if you can be taught to hate, you can be taught to love. See, and that statement right there is such a helpful thing. The problem with the critical theories, and like I mentioned before, it's not just race, it's critical fat guy theory, it's critical other theories that are out there. There's so many different things. The problem with so many of those academic approaches to things is they're not redemptive. There's no way to heal. There is no way to to change. Being redemptive, it's the opposite of some of the academic theories and attitudes that we have in our country. This is why she is so powerful. This is why she has moved forward. And this, by the way, for Christians matters a lot because our faith is redemptive. That's what Christianity is about. And I think we forget that sometimes. We are about the redemption of people's souls, not because they vote the way we vote like or we have political views that are the same, but because Jesus died for our redemption. Jesus died for all who would believe in him from every tribe and every nation. That's who's going to be gathered together that we see in the pictures in Revelation when we are called to go and make disciples. It's every nation. And see, it is redemptive. Jesus, and through his whole ministry, it's about redemption. The Bible is about redemption. The freedom of slaves, the freedom of slaves literally in Egypt, the freedom of slaves literally in in Rome, the freedom of slaves to spiritual things. This is our faith. And this is what this author writes in this article. He says, after an hour of defending her vision of Juneteenth, Lee, Opal Lee turned to me and asked if I believed it. And then he talks about his, his struggle. It's a very honest article. And he says, you know what? It forced me to encounter my own pessimism about this divided nation and my own fears. That's a pretty powerful statement, a pretty powerful thing. She said, Juneteenth is a day about the hopefulness of people who had been through something unimaginable, she said. They saw themselves as moving forward. Anybody can get on board with that. It did, she didn't say it solves all the problems or that, that the freedom of slaves was the end of, of people's oppression, and obviously it wasn't. But she said it was a step. It was a step in the right direction. And this author writes, maybe that's why people can get on board with Opal Lee. She seems to understand the need for a unifying American history, one that is based on pride, not shame. She wants as much as anybody to get the injustice, the police reform, the voting protections and prote- that protesters are demanding. She just has another path to get there. And she's asking people to let go of anger, just as she's asking those who oppose the elevation of Juneteenth to abandon fear. And he questions whether it's a legitimate path. I thought that's pretty good. You know, my friends, whatever your struggle is, whether you're dealing with this kind of burden that you might have because of racism that gets heightened by a day like today or the conversation that we're having now or arguments that you've seen on Twitter or social media or on your cable news all day today. We have something so much greater. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ for relations with each other, for being able to break down all of those things, for the freedom of slaves, for the freedom from sin that just binds us up. And we have so much joy with Christ because we can be redeemed. We can be brought back. We're not just cast into a box where you're just like that the rest of your life. Oh, you're, you're an adulterer, you're a murderer, you're a liar, you're a cheat, you're a thief, whatever you are. You're just that for the rest of your life. That's not the scriptures. The scriptures is you can be all of those things and you can get out of that box and into the arms of your Savior. That's a good deal. We got to take a break. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. The number is 888-528-2557 if you want to join our conversation. This is the Monday edition of SoCal Live. I'll be right back. Stay tuned.
Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Scott Furrow with you, your host. Great to be with you every single weekday from 3 to 5 right here in KKLA 99.5 in Los Angeles and KPRZ in San Diego, all of Southern California. Good to be with you. The number is 888-528-2557. We were talking about Juneteenth and a uh, an optimistic way to cut through a lot of stuff from somebody who is known as the grandmother of Juneteenth, Opal Lee. And she's a 95-year-old woman who really is, in, in a lot of ways, responsible for this becoming a holiday. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I enjoyed, I was playing some clips from an interview that she had with Don Lemon on CNN. And uh, at the end of it, he tries to end the interview. And, you you know, you have to do that. We do that on this show, right? There's a certain amount of time. you gotta go to you got to go to a break. you got to do stuff. And sometimes it's, you know, maybe a little awkward or you feel like conversation's not over. But limited time, there you go. So he tries to go to break. And uh, this is what happens. Uh, Go to clip uh, four. Do we have clip four? I am so happy and and honored to have you here and to have you be a part of this. And I thank you for doing what you have done. Thank you, Miss Opalie. You are a a sight to behold and a, a sight to see and a wonder to behold. Do you think this interview is over? Because I got some more stuff to tell you. <laughs> listen, 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 listen. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that she's like, this interview is not over, pal. I don't care who you are. We're going to keep going. And she does for a little bit. He, he very kindly gets uh, out of the interview later. But uh, she went on to just talk about some of the local events that they're going to do. Um, but you know what? It's impossible, I think, to make a passionate 95 year old woman who's been walking two and a half miles a di- uh, you know, uh, a year in all these events to try to make something a federal holiday who did it. You know, how are you going to get her to be off your, your program? You can't. And she is so optimistic. And that's really a lot of the point that I want to make today is optimism is important. Optimism for Christians, by the way, this is it's not the de- denying of reality or struggle. Optimism is the belief that we keep moving forward because our Savior, our hope is in Christ, not in our country, not in political figures, not in anything else. We have the ability to move forward even in horrific circumstances because our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in something bigger. 888-528-2557 is the number if you want to join our conversation. 888-528-2557. Vaughn from Los Angeles, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi, Vaughn. Yes. Hi, Vaughn. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Um, am I on right now? You, you are. You're on the air right now. How you doing, Vaughn? Okay. Um, yeah, I'm from uh, L.A. Yeah. And it's regarding Juneteenth. Yes. Um, you know, by Biden doing what he did in terms of making it a uh, a federal holiday, what he's done, this is my opinion, my feelings on it. He has discredited the Emancipation Proclamation that Lincoln put in place. Hmm. Okay, because the it's it it was the five there was five states. They were all democratic states that did not want to adhere to the Emancipation Proclamation. Mm-hmm. And those states, like all the other states in the United States, he gave them almost a year, 10 months head up that he was going to sign this bill. Lincoln did. Yeah. And these five Democratic states 
were not going to adhere to it. I have I have a friend, she's passed on, but she was 101, okay, and she and I had several talks about this. Yeah. You know, I'm in my late 60s. I'm 68 years old. Okay. But I remember when I was a little girl, okay, what was going on. But uh, she was, uh, this lady friend that I had just passed, she's 100, 121, 101 years old. And we talked about it, and she said, yes, by doing Juneteenth, it's a discredit and a disgrace to the Emancipation Proclamation. Now, why do we, why do we because, think so? Because Juneteenth is actually an enforcement of the Emancipation yeah, Proclamation. I, no, be, because the Emancipation Proclamation was an enforcement. And those five states who would not comply with it, which were Democrats, yeah. the, uh, the, when it got back to the White House that they were not complying with it and they were not letting the slaves go, uh-huh. he sent the cavalry or the army out there to enforce it. You were that's, correct. That's correct. In your definition on that. He sent it out there. And so now they're saying, well, that's the day, Juneteenth, is when those five states were free. No, but what about all the other states that were oh, already I, adhere, adhering I, to it? They I already think I, let their slaves go. Right. I think that the reason, I, I think I'm tracking with you now. So you're saying that that Juneteenth, because it happens so much later than the actual Emancipation Proclamation, it ignores the, the freedom of slaves from all the other states. Yeah. There okay. Was, yeah, forty-seven states complied with it because they had heads up. They had ten months prior to him signing <sighs> the bill. All right. Well, we didn't have that many. Yeah, Javon, I appreciate that. It's an interesting thought. We didn't have that many states back then, and and most of the northern states and new territories, including California, were never were uh, California was never a slave state, and the northern states had already abolished it at this time. So, I mean, there is a the freedom of the slaves is something that began. Um, you know, abolitionism was going on even before the Revolutionary War. Uh, so there was a process of freedom of the slaves that went on for a while. I think the reason for Juneteenth is it's really, it's not to discredit the Emancipation Proclamation, but it is the day that is recorded in a time when there, you know, everything isn't on video and you don't know all the different things. It's a time when the Emancipation Proclamation was enforced on states that weren't doing it, and Texas was, I believe, the last one, and that's why. Uh, I don't think they have to be competing. You know, I understand maybe that that maybe what it does is it, it's, you know, it maybe takes away from it. Some people would have argued, and Vaughn, I appreciate your call. Uh, some people would have, you know, maybe it takes away from the idea of having Emancipation Day as a holiday. Uh, there is an Emancipation Day, but... Uh, I don't know. No one's out there doing walks for Emancipation Day, probably. I don't, I don't know. I would have to tell you this, that I think that what it shows is the, the Union, after you know, when the, the slaves were freed, the southern states weren't going to do it. They considered themselves another country, the Confederate states, right? But when the war is over, then the federal government has to enforce its laws on the southern states. And that's what happened here. That's what General Order Number 3 was. It was the cavalry to go in. Um, with a particularly large amount of black troops, as I understand it, who were fighting in the Union Army, to go into states and saying, no, this has been done, and whether you've heard about it or not, you're hearing about it now, slaves are free. Everybody's free. And there was a tremendous celebration. It's a moment of, you know, our country's not perfect at all in these areas, but our country, when we 
for lack of a better word, repent to our founding documents. When we suddenly believe, we go back and we act according to the idea that that all people are meant to be free, that we are given certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. When we actually give those rights to people, that's a good thing in our country. It's not good that people were denied those rights, but the fact that we can get there, this is the the optimism about our country. Even in the, the difficulty that we're having today and the difficulty we're having today, the divisions we have today are bad. I think they are as bad. We are as divided over different issues today as we were in the 1850s. And that's scary. It's a very scary thing. The optimism that we're able to have when we take a look at where our country can go, I think is where we need to land and say, hey, let's work through these things and move forward. And as Christians, you know, in a whole other um, discussion here, being optimistic, it's it is the demeanor that we are to have. I don't know if you realize that, but that is that is how Christians get things done. That is how we build relationships with each other. It's it's how things actually. Um, it's how Jesus taught us to go about things. There was always optim- Christianity is always expressed in optimism. Optimism is defined as a disposition or tendency to look on the more favorable side of events or conditions and to expect the most favorable outcome. Pessimism, on the other hand, is a tendency to see the worst aspect of things or believe that the worst will happen. If I were running for office today, one of the things I would point out is that we have to, as a country, move from pessimism to optimism. It doesn't mean that we don't, that we ignore the problems. It means that instead of having a tendency to see the worst aspect of things, which is the direction we're going, which is why we're being torn apart, is we want to see the worst aspect of each other, the worst intents of each other, and then we put these academic theories together that that separate us into different boxes that you can never get out of. That's just where you are. That's not going to work. That That is the destruction of the country. Optimism is a tendency to look on the more favorable side of events or conditions, not to put rose-colored glasses on, but to believe that there is a more favorable outcome. In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs seventeen twenty-two: a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. I mean, which side would you like to be on? Proverbs fifteen fifteen: all the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. It doesn't mean that you should ignore oppression, but if all you're doing is focusing on that, it's going to be wretched. But if you can, like Opal Lee, who we've been talking about, can move forward with a positive sense, an optimistic sense, things get better. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. You can join our conversation by calling 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Scott Furrow with you today. A fine Monday. Hope that you had a good Father's Day weekend, whatever you might have been doing. And now we look forward to a great week as we begin summer. Already summertime 2022. I have to always think about the year. I don't know why. I think I mentioned this, but recently I I was writing a date down and I wrote 2022. And then I crossed it out and I wrote 2002. I went back in time for 20 years. And then I crossed it out again with 2022. But it's it's bothered me ever since. Like, why did I do that? It, I went backwards. What was going on? What do I need to resolve from, from 2002? I don't know. Uh, I'm not really that uh, <clears throat> into uh, psychology of it. 
uh, I think it just has to do with uh, not enough coffee that day, most likely. 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Talking about optimism. Are you an optimistic person or a pessimistic person? Like, where do you come down on that? And do you feel like you're becoming more pessimistic? I think that culturally we're becoming more pessimistic. I think even in the church we're becoming more pessimistic. It's hard to see the way forward. And when we think about the tensions that we have in our culture, tensions we've got in, in church, you know, there how many different ways do churches divide, you know, today? I was, I, a while ago I was reading about a church that divided over, they put a new clock in the uh, the sanctuary, the worship center, and they had a fight about it because it was a digital clock, but somebody thought it should be an analog clock. You know, so rather than just have the numbers, it should have the, the big hand and the small hand going around, and the church divided over that. Now, when that kind of thing happens, obviously there's something else under the surface and, you know, people are just looking for a reason to get mad or whatever, which is a whole other problem. But really, I mean, what, that is just the oddest thing to me. Uh, does, is there somewhere in Leviticus that says, uh, my people shall not have digital clocks. They shall only use analog clocks with a big hand, a small hand, and a second hand. And the clock must be reset at daylight savings manually and not automatically by satellite. Are there rules like that somewhere in the scripture? Uh, I don't know. And I think some of it is because we, when we become pessimistic, we also become a group of people who don't believe anymore in abundance. We believe in scarcity. When we're pessimistic, there's not going to be enough for, for me, so I'm going to take whatever I can get. And when we're pessimistic, it's, hey, everything's going to pot, and I'm just going to take whatever I can, and you don't get yours, and uh, me first, me first, me first. And that's not the Christian way, right? The fate of the kingdom of God does not depend on how our elections turn out. It does not depend on whether or not our church is even making enough money or surviving. The fate of the kingdom of God doesn't depend on a lot of that stuff. Not saying it doesn't matter, but in the greater context for the world and what God is doing in the world, we have every reason to be optimistic, every reason to believe that, you know, right now the things that we're seeing in history are confirming what the Scriptures say history is going to be like. It confirms what the Scriptures teach us is going to happen in history. That's why so many people out there think, oh, maybe this is the end times and maybe Jesus is going to come back soon. You know, um, maybe the rapture already happened. That's why there's not enough people working at coffee shops, and we just didn't make it. Like, there's just a few humble of us who are really saved, and you guys are gone. That's why there's not enough. I don't understand that. It's, I'm just joking about the rapture. You don't have to call about that. Um, but I do wonder what happened to the workforce, right? Like, we have this really low unemployment rate, and I understood it. While, while people are getting paid more to stay home, I understood that. But that's running out. Where did everybody go? Are, did we just not decide not to work? I don't know. Um, that's a weird problem, right? We can get real pessimistic about that. You know, if, if, if that question that I know a lot of people are asking has an answer that's not good, well, we're going to have some economic hard times. Inflation is crazy right now. And, uh, and the shortages are coming. I think I heard there's going to be a peanut butter shortage. Right now, I just caused a rush on peanut butter. Uh, fortunately for me, I keep forgetting that we have peanut butter every time I go to Costco, so I keep buying the two big jugs of it. I think that I might personally be the reason for the peanut butter shortage because of all the peanut butter in my house. I just noticed that uh, recently. Like, wow, how much peanut butter can one guy have? In my house, I have one child who is uh, made of peanut butter and jelly, so we will go through it. 
uh, relatively fast. He doesn't want, you know, any meal. You know, what do you want? Peanut butter and jelly. He would eat that. And James, if you're listening, you know it's true, man. Peanut butter and jelly. They they have had a shortage of some jelly. I had to go uh, really look around for uh, some jelly. And obviously there's uh, other things. The baby formula shortage is still happening. You know, we can go down a road of uh, a lot of stuff. We want to talk about the news. We'll talk about some in the, the next hour. But, um, you know, the optimism that we should have as believers, it matters. We should not look uh, at the future and just believe that it's all bad. Because for Christians, it's exactly as Jesus said it was going to be. There is no surprises. The Lord is not looking down on our country and going, I just don't understand this inflation rate. How can gas prices be $7 a gallon? I just, you know, he's not doing that. Everything that's going on in the world, everything that's going on in Ukraine, everything that's going on in, in Africa, everything that's going on in every continent of the world, the Lord is aware of, and it is bringing history to its culmination that will eventually bring about the return of Jesus. And maybe we're in a period of time right now where we're going to head toward that, but maybe we're in a period of time right now of great revival. In the next hour, we'll talk a little bit about a new Gallup survey that says fewer and fewer people believe in God. And uh, that's a scary notion. But I also think that it might be the root of a great revival. I mean, can we be optimistic that there might be a great revival ahead? With all these scary statistics about the church and things, I think that there's a possibility of great revival. If there's not, then that's also God's plan for things. But, you know, if there is, we might head into a period, an era of tremendous Christian revival. And I think we should think about that, that that might be exactly what is in God's plan. You know, and if you're struggling with it, if you're not an optimist, if you are a pessimist, get into your word of God. The word of God is is completely realistic. When people say, oh, it's not very relevant. No, the problem with the Bible is it's too relevant, I think, for some people. I think the problem for lots of people reading the Bible, if you read the Bible, is that it's so relevant, it's going to make you think. And it's going to make you repent, and it's going to make you think about your relationship to God, your relationship to other people. But it's also going to give you hope. Proverbs twelve twenty five: an anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. I mean, that line right there, you could live by that. You know how great it is to be around people who are are positive and who bring people up with a kind word? We are so used to all the negative stuff and the names that people call each other. It's horrible. But it's great when somebody has a kind word that cheers somebody up. I used to know a woman who she was just positive about anything. And if you, you know, you, she would meet you and she was so genuinely interested in you. It was incredible. And she would say, well, what do you do for a living? And you'd say, well, I'm a guy who pushes a leaf blower down Gower. And she'd go, I always wanted to meet somebody who pushes a leaf blower. And she would talk to you about your profession and how did you get into it and what do you do and how much nicer you're making the streets and what a benefit you are to the city and all of this stuff. And she just had this gift for that. Every one of us can do that. And what kind of disposition do you think the Christians should have in our culture? One of optimism or one of pessimism? See, it's, it's optimism. And optimism isn't cheerful thoughts without reason. We're saved by faith and not good feelings, all right? Our hope is in Christ, not in our ministry success or our success in our business or whatever. But if we believe in Christ, if we believe in the kingdom of God, then we have everything to be optimistic about, even in times like this. Optimism is not opposed to being realistic. 
All right. Sometimes people say, oh, you know what? I'm not a pessimist. I'm just a realist. Yeah, that just means you're really negative, right? That's what that means. I've probably said that before in my down days. But an optimist is somebody who doesn't have pie-in-the-sky notions, but they are wise. They know that work is necessary to achieve a successful outcome, but they believe that that work can be done, that people can listen, that people's hearts can change. A true optimist is not a passive person, but works hard. And a true optimist believes that good things happening is not only possible, but it's even probable. I think that's something great. Think about that for yourself. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? And how does that affect your own heart, your own anxiety, your own struggle, your own frustration? If you are a a optimist, then you're not looking for the silver lining. You're looking for the way forward, the way to make things better. You know, it is such an amazing, amazing thing to be able to do that. You know, the pessimist is never for progress or change. They're for fear, which we're just loaded with, right, and holding on to things that don't work, right? So it's very hard to change. If you're a pessimist, um, you know, you, you just struggle to make changes that you need to do because you're afraid that it might fail, and it might fail. But then you try something else. But this is the type of person who would rather starve than go to the store and get some food. And then they bring everyone else down. Jesus was an optimist and a realist. He had no problem letting his followers know that persecution is going to come. People are going to hate you because of me, he said. That doesn't sound, you know, very exciting, very optimistic. But he also had no problem letting them know that the gates of hell will not prevail. Do you believe, Christian, that the gates of hell will not prevail? If you do, you can be optimistic. See, this is, this is where the hope is. When we see all this stuff going on in the world today and it's so hard and it seems such, to be such a downer every day, you know, I turn on the news first thing in the morning and um, I've got all this stuff there and it can really get me down except that I know that Jesus is on the throne and I can just say, okay, what does this mean? What does this mean for us? How do we talk about it as Christians? How do we leverage it into people getting to know Jesus, into people having hope, people being able to progress? I think that's a great a great lesson for us uh, today. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. We're on every day from three to five uh, each and every afternoon. It's always great to have you with me here. You can join our conversation anytime by calling 888-528-2557. You can also send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com, SoCalLive on, at KKLA.com. And, um, uh, you can go to kkla.com to find the podcast of this episode, too. If you'd like any hour of our show, it's right there. Just look for the program guide. Look for Southern California Live in the afternoon slot, and you will find the podcast. You can listen to it online, and you could subscribe to it. We'll be back in just a couple of moments. We'll talk about uh, the world we are in and uh, some good things as soon as we get back. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. Stay tuned. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.